Hi there, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. That was no small children with I Don't Want It. Love that band. I had a chance to go see them perform live. They were amazing. Okay, standing by to join me is my next guest, Denis Bouchard, who wrote the book Into the Sun. So let me bring him on now. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. Hi. Hi, thanks so much for calling in. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, sure. I want to ask you, what inspired you to write this book? Well, I traveled to Afghanistan for the first time in 2009, and I was going as a journalist and, um, you know, volunteering a bit for some projects there as well. And I was fascinated by, um, when I first arrived, I was fascinated by the civilian presence there, by all the Westerners who were in Afghanistan to participate um, in in sort of nation building and rebuilding the country, and it was this was 2009 at the height of the civilian surge, and I had this memory of having read books as a child about the Wild West, and sort of you have a gold rush and a boom town, and the mercenaries and the missionaries arrive, the do-gooders, the get-rich-quick types, they all come pouring in, and Kabul gave me a similar feeling. You had this city that had a massive influx of foreign aid. They had grown from half a million to uh, a population of half a million when we invaded to somewhere between four and six million now, depending on estimates. And you had all these people who came in to soak up the foreign aids. You had your mercenary types, your missionary types, your get-rich-quick types. And I thought, there's a story here. Someone needs to be writing a story about the civilian aspect of wars. We don't think of war as a civilian project, and yet civilians are very much implicated in it. How did the opening description of Kabul prepare you for the story? In the way I write the book, you mean, and, and, and yes. the, the opening description in the book? Yeah. I mean, I really want to give people a sense of of the way that everyone in Kabul is waiting. You know, the, the city itself is sort of invested with with the difficulty of the war, and the winters there are hard. It's, uh, the the city's at 6,000 feet in the mountains. It snows, it rains a lot. It's very muddy. When I was there, for the first times, most of the streets weren't paved. Um, so you have streets that are full of mud and trash and excrement. All you know, it's just a very difficult place to live for a lot of people. Very dusty as well, mm-hmm. a lot of pollution, a lot of smog. And I wanted to really invest the city with, um, you know, I, I tried to, to bring the reader into. A- Hi there, I lost you. Yeah, um, I couldn't hear anything. The line seemed to have cut out. Yeah. What was it like writing this book? Um, the, the book took me uh, quite a few years. I started writing it in um, 2009, and I worked on it pretty steadily up through um, up through late 2015, early 2016. Um, and uh, you know, it was it was challenging in the sense that I wanted to tell a story about a war zone, but through the point of view of civilians. And I, you know, I didn't want it to be a war novel, but I also wanted to capture the feel of of war. So it was it was a very unconventional book. So it was a bit challenging in that regard. Were there any surprises along the way as you were writing this? Oh, surprises! Um, certainly, um, you know, one of the. I mean, what I wanted to do with the book was tell a story in Kabul and then show these characters' lives in the United States as well. So basically, to to set this up, you know, the story starts with a car bomb that goes off in Kabul, and three people have died, and yet four people are missing. And a journalist is trying to put together a story and understand why these people were chosen, because they're pretty unimportant people. And the journalist goes back to the United States to understand who these people were, and in the process really realizes that a lot of the people who go to war zones are fleeing trauma. They're fleeing problems in the United States, or they're trying to find purpose. So 
you have this sort of wave of, of, of people who are going to war zones to reinvent themselves, to find meaning in life, to understand um, what, what they want to do in the world, or else just to have access to the world stage. And America positions itself on the, on the global stage with these sorts of conflicts as a savior, as a country that's going to resolve problems. And I think maybe what surprised me in the writing process was, was creating these characters and trying to understand why they were there and realizing that what they're really fleeing in a lot of, in most cases, is problems at home that America can't fix. In a sense, you know, our class problems, our gender violence, our, yes. you know, the inequity we have back home. And so the novel really looks at, at how we promote ourselves as a, this messianic country that's going to save the world on one hand, and yet we can't seem to solve our problems at home. And that kind of emerged in the writing of the characters. Yeah. Is it really reasonable to expect unbiased news coverage of war? I think it's reasonable to expect that, that journalists attempt to be unbiased, or, you know, that's certainly, you know, it's very hard to, to you know, I don't know what that even means to be truly unbiased. Obviously, we come from cultures, we have cultural values. Just the act of choosing one story over another story um, it shows a bias. So, so I think that um, it's reasonable to expect that journalists are not beating the drum for one camp or another, that they're trying to show multiple points of view and trying to allow the, the, the reader to understand um, that there are different ways of, of uh, or allow the audience to understand the different ways of seeing the issue. But I do think that virtually everything that humans create is biased in some regard. Now, I know that sexual assault is a key role in the lives of women in the book. Do you want to talk about that? Absolutely. <clears throat> you know, the one thing that, that, that comes up in the book is the way that, that civilians who are there often position themselves as the saviors of Afghan women. Um, and so, you know, there are characters who are there specifically who see themselves as, as, as heroes and sort of the people who are going to save Afghan women from Afghan men. And sexual assault and um, the oppression of women is very real in Afghanistan. There's no question about that. What the book is looking at, in a way, is how how Westerners address that often creates more problems. So, for example, a lot of Westerners sort of lump Afghan men into one category as the oppressors, rather than realizing that Afghan men, there's as much difference between them as a group as there is between American men. And by lumping them in one category, we create a false solidarity. We create... Um, we create a category that never really existed. And uh, certainly I saw young Afghan men feeling very threatened by the way Americans viewed them and viewed Afghan women. And I think as a result over the years, they've become more conservative in their outlook. Mm -hmm. um, the book also looks a lot at gen sexual assaults and gender violence in the United States and Canada, um, where some of the characters come from, and sort of addresses how we, we like to portray ourselves as the protectors of women overseas, when it's convenient for our, our global image, um, yet we don't do anywhere near enough to prevent gender violence and sexual assault at home. So the book is really trying to allow the reader to see these problems and, and, and enter the, those worlds. Um, it's not trying to offer solutions because there really aren't any easy solutions. I say the only real solution is um, to have a deeper understanding, to actually, you know, in Afghanistan, for people to to learn more, to be more self-aware, certainly, and to and also to question their their, um, their you know, to, to evaluate their own impact there and, and their reason for being there. Yeah. And in the case of the United States, um, 
certainly the solution is to be more active here and to to um, try to address the issues we claim to care about so much. Now, I know we have to wrap up soon, but after you were done writing this book, did you feel like, I mean, I can imagine you probably were changed in a lot of ways? Well, I think working in Afghanistan um, certainly taught me a lot. And, um, you know, I went there on and off between 2009 and 2014. And, and writing a book forced me to evaluate my relationship to the stories I was writing. And I think what came out of the book was 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 an evaluation of what's happening in America mm-hmm. far more than what's happening in Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, and, and it drove my interest in that direction more. It's, it, in a sense, it feels easier sometimes to go overseas and write about what's happening there um, because we're, we're, what's happening at home is so complex, and we, we see the complexity. We don't always see the complexity overseas. We tend to simplify things. Yes. And the process of writing the book made me feel much more invested in trying to address the issues and the problems we have at home. Now, before we wrap, I do want to mention you also have written uh, on other things as well. Vandal Love, which won the 2007 Commonwealth Writers Prize for Best First Book. Could you talk about that? Yeah, my, I have three other books that are out. Um, Vandal Love came out um, originally, the first edition was in 2006, and that was a novel about the exodus of French Canadians to America um, between 1870 and 1930, and the disappearance of French Franco-American culture in America. It's based on my heritage. Um, you know, I, my family's, I guess I'd be considered by some to be a Franco-American. Mm-hmm. And um, I also wrote a memoir after that called Cures for Hunger, which is a memoir about growing up with my father, who was a bank robber. My father actually did rob, uh, according to him, about 50 banks, and there's very clear proof oh that he gosh. was a pretty serious criminal for a large part of his life. And I wrote about what it was like growing up with someone like that and how it influenced me and how I was able to break away from that and choose a very different path. Mm. And then I wrote a book of nonfiction of bonobos and men about grassroots conservation in the Congo and spent some time there writing about bonobos and um, a matriarchal great ape that's the only great ape that doesn't kill its own kind. Um, and uh, the book is it's journalism, but it's, you know, it's a very narrative account of, the, of a journey into the Congo to understand what we can do to protect the rainforest and the great apes. Well, unfortunately... And, we, and to help the people, I should say, too. Oh, good. I don't mean to cut you off. We do have to wrap, but could you give out yeah. a website where people can reach you, contact you? Yes, absolutely. My website's denibechard.com. It's D-E-N-I-B-E-C-H-A-R-D.com. And Twitter and Instagram, it's at denibechard. So it's same D-E-N-I-B-E-C-H-A-R-D. Perfect. Thank you so much for calling in. I really enjoyed the book, and uh, great chatting with you. Great talking to you, too. Thank okay. you so much. All right, we are really at the top of the hour, and Sheldon is standing by to take over with Cure for the Blues. So he's going to come on in. And uh, thanks for tuning in, listening to Get the Funk Out. Again, the show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. And I'll be back next week. I'm Janine, and you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.